0: I don't want to brag, but I've kept my New Year's resolution. I've done it. I've had pasta every day this year. <laughs> Thank you. I, I tell you, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. There were some nights when I was like, oh, my gosh, it's 1130. I haven't eaten pasta. I have to wake my wife up and have her make me some. <laughs> yeah. But I do it because it's about personal accountability. By the way, if you believe I would wake my wife up, you're drunk, all right? Because <laughs> I'm afraid of her, all right? Jim Gaffigan on resolutions. Who here has made some New Year's resolutions thus far? Not anybody? You're lying. You You need to get on that. I got one more day. So... um, I want to talk a little bit about this idea that, that we all kind of go through this as we're approaching a new year where we're, where we're wanting to change. We want to transform into something new in the new year. Uh, in fact, uh, there, there's been studies that show at least 50% of Americans make some kind of resolution in the new year. 50%. Now, um, think about that. 50% of us Half of us make some kind of resolution to change in the new year. How, wh- wh- what percentage do you think actually keeps the resolutions? W- Want to throw that out there? It's very close. It's 8% pe- of people actually keep their resolutions. 80% though of those people that made those resolutions within two weeks have gone back to their old habits. Within two weeks, now, why are we so bad at this? Why are human beings so bad at this? Well, some people think it's because uh, we we just have improper expectations. We make resolutions that are unrealistic. In fact, Dave Barry wrote a column uh, in the Miami Herald once where he talked about setting realistic goals versus unrealistic goals, and he said that makes all the difference. So, For instance, here would be an unrealistic goal. In the next month, I'll lose 25 pounds. Realistic goal, over the next year, taking it an ounce or two at a time, I will gain 25 pounds. And my face will bloat like a military life raft. Unrealistic goal, I will learn to speak Chinese. Realistic goal, I will order some Chinese food. Unrealistic goal, I will read a good book. Realistic goal. I will examine the outside of some good books then waddle over the part of the bookstore where they sell pastries. Unrealistic goal, I will volu- I will do volunteer work for a worthy cause. Realistic goal, I will give myself a hearty scratching. Realistic goals, may- maybe that's it. So, As human beings, we're really bad at this idea of keeping up with our resolutions. We're really bad at enacting personal change in our lives. And it's strange because we've accomplished so much as a species, haven't we? We, We've created life-changing technologies. We have apps on our phone that allow us to find a date, send a date, meet a date, break up with a date, all without even talking to another person. But... We can't seem to change ourselves. We can change the world around us, but we can't change ourselves. There's a growing field of research out there about this topic, and people who study it say it's not so much a matter of needing more gyms or needing better diet plans or better ways of organizing our lives, but instead, the problem is that we tend to take an outside-in approach. We want to work on the world around us, but we don't want to work on us. So A researcher in this field put it really well when he said this. It's important to recognize that outside-in solutions such as dieting, joining gyms, and so on, are doomed to fail if other than our well-intentioned resolve to change, you've done nothing to enhance your capacity to sustain motivation or handle the inevitable stress and discomfort involved with change. In other words, the primary problem before us in any resolution— Is not the things out there. It's what's in here. It's what's in you. It's the state of your heart that is really at issue. Um, A couple of years ago, uh, I was dealing with some personal issues and decided to go see a counselor. I sought out uh, a professional counselor to talk through some some personal and relational issues in my life. And I, I was talking to him about all these things I was doing. I was talking to him about habits and and things I was actually doing. And and he stopped me uh, in our first session and said something that that has always stuck with me as as being very profound. uh, Because I kept on talking about the things I was doing, things I was doing. And he said, you need to stop for a second. It's time that you start taking responsibility for the stuff in here, not just the stuff out there. It's time you start taking responsibility for the stuff in here, not just the stuff out there. So what I want us to maybe think about doing, I'm, gonna, I'm doing this myself this year, is I want to invite you into possibly taking a journey inside this year. That means instead of thinking about all the things you're going to do in the new year, I think, I'd like you to just think a little bit about who you are on the inside. Um, I'm going to read the scripture from Mark 7, verses 21 through 23 it says this because everything is about our hearts and it all starts there it's from the inside from the human heart that every evil thought uh, from that evil thoughts come sexual sins thefts murders adultery greed evil actions deceit unrestrained immorality envy insults arrogance and foolishness all these things come from the inside and contaminate a person in god's sight All of these things aren't external, but they come from the inside of us. So we think so much when we're thinking about the new year and our resolutions is, what can I change about out there? And we don't always think about what's going on in here. In other words, what the scripture says, it's not just the person that cut you off in traffic that's the problem. It's about why do you so quickly fall into habits of anger? It's not just about who might end up getting promoted before you, Maybe it's about why do you struggle with jealousy or envy? See, all of these issues, it's about our hearts first and foremost. It's about our hearts first and foremost. The cause, Because because in, in all of those situations, there's only one constant. And the one constant in all of those is you. Uh, I, I was having dinner one time with two friends of mine, and we've been friends for decades. And... Um, uh, two of us are married, and one isn't, and he's, he, had been, uh, he had been going through a series of relationships that were just not working out, and he, he was complaining about this about one girl, this about another girl, this about another girl, and uh, my other friend who is married said, what's the one constant in all of those relationships? Because you're saying a lot of problems. What's the one constant? And he's like, what? He goes, you are the constant. You are the problem. I want you to look at somebody close to you and say, you're the problem, Some of you have been waiting to say that to the person next to you. <sighs> see, see this, this need to look deeply into ourselves, to look deeply into our own hearts, is throughout the Bible we see it. And I want to read this from Haggai uh, chapter 1. This is verses 5 through 7. Now, so, so now, this is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. Take your ways to heart. You have sown much, but it has brought little. You eat but there's not enough to satisfy. You drink, but not enough to get drunk. There is clothing, but not enough to keep warm. Anyone earning wages puts those wages into a bag with holes. This is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. Take your ways to heart. A modern version of that might actually read something like this. You go to work, but you don't have a sense of purpose. You have relationships, but you can never find intimacy. You go to church, but you never feel close to God anymore. Stop blaming other people. Stop blaming the circumstances around you. Take a long look in the mirror. I wonder what it would look like for everyone here if instead of making a resolution to do something, your resolution was to take a long look in the mirror. What if we were just to simply examine our own hearts a little bit, See, it's, it's not what we do in this next year that really matters to God, but it's who we become. It's who we become that really matters to God. There's a, a, a really brilliant uh, uh, philosopher and, and Christian writer named Dallas Willard, and I, I love this quote he said, the main thing God gets out of your life is who you become. The main thing that God gets out of your life is who you become. It's not all the accomplishments. It's not your great career It's not all of the things that you can hang on the wall. It's who you become that God's really passionate about. So what's standing in the way of of any of us from that kind of transformation, from becoming the people that God has called us to be? Well, you know, the the Scripture gives us a really crazy answer. It's your strength that gets in your way. Or maybe a better way to put it is your self-perception of your strength I'm going to read this from 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. Says this. He said to me, "My grace is enough for you." This is, by the way, just to give some context. This is the Apostle Paul talking about struggling, struggling with uh, basically a weakness. And he said, uh, he says this, and this is God speaking to Paul. He said to me, "My grace is enough for you, because power is made perfect in weakness." So I'll gladly spend my time bragging about my weaknesses. Who here brags much about their weaknesses? So that Christ's power can rest on me. Therefore, I'm all right with weaknesses, insults, disasters, harassments, stressful situations for the sake of Christ. Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. Christianity is a weird, weird religion. You know, uh, when, when a, we live in a world that tells us, get everything you can for yourself. And Christianity says, give everything away. We live in a world that tells you, you've got to be number one. And Christianity says, the first will be last and the last will be first. And here, where we have a, a real value in our culture for strength to be strong, we see here that the Bible tells us, actually, it's in your weakness that God is strong. In your weakness, God is strong. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and he's uh, leading someone through um, a very difficult time in their life. Uh, uh, one of the members of his congregation is in the middle of a, of, of, of a bad divorce, and this is this this guy who's in this situation. Um, he he's a very successful person. A- everything he puts his hand to seems to work. And yet, his, he finds that his, his relationship has fallen apart, and he is just, he, is, he doesn't know how to deal with it. And he, he, he asked his pastor, he said, listen, I want to come out of this a better man on the other side. How do I do that? How do I do that? And uh, my friend who's a pastor gave him some very good advice. He said this, the glittering image you have of yourself needs to die. The glittering image that you have of yourself needs to die if you want to come out of this a better person. See, what a strange thing that, that our weakness, our weakness is where God is the strongest. That is a strange, strange thing. But you know what? It makes sense if you think about our faith, if you think about what we believe, because how did God win the greatest battle ever fought? He died on a cross. What looked like the weakest thing was the one thing in the universe that could break the power of sin and death over our lives. You know, Christianity at its heart is a faith of surrender. It's a faith of, of not saying I'm the strongest, but saying I'm the weakest and you are the strongest. And I think if we want to see our lives transformed in the new year, it's going to take a posture of surrender. It's going to take a posture of, I know that I cannot do this without you, God. I'm not strong enough to let go of this sin that I keep on finding myself in over and over again. It's not about white-knuckling your way through those problems in your life. These patterns that you can't break out of, it's saying, God, I'm not strong enough, but you are. And in my weakest point, I find you. I find you in my weakest moment when I know I can't take another step and then you carry me. So this is, this is one question I want to ask, and I'm, I'm going to invite our band back up to the stage. Uh, I, I want us to take a second, though, and I want you to just close your eyes with me for a second. I want you to ask yourself a very important question. I a- want you to say, ask this, what is the one place in your life where self-sufficiency needs to die? What is the one area in your life where self-sufficiency needs to die? What is that area of weakness that you just need to give up to God today? Just think about that for a moment. What area in your life does self-sufficiency need to die? And maybe offer that up this morning. And I'm, I'm gonna pray, and I ask that you would pray with me. Lord God, as we are about to enter a new year, we want to enter it transformed by you. And Lord God, we want to be the people that you have called us to be in every area of our life. And that doesn't mean that we're stronger, Lord God, but it means that you are stronger in us. And so Lord, every single person here, We we want to offer to you that area of our life that you have highlighted by the power of your Holy Spirit that that we need the self-sufficiency to die. We need for our weakness to give way to your amazing strength. Lord God, we know that your grace is enough. That your grace is enough. That the same strength, Lord God, that rose Jesus from the dead, that rolled away the stone. We know that that is available to us, Lord God. So we are praying for your resurrection power to wash over us in those areas of our greatest weakness, in those areas that we know we need to change to be the people that you have called us to be. So Holy Spirit, come. We pray not that we do great things in this new year, but we become the great people of God that you've called us to be. And we pray this in your holy name, amen.